0: Donald Trump files his most frivolous lawsuit yet. This one against the Pulitzer Prize Board for awarding the New York Times and Washington Post a Pulitzer Prize in 2018. Popak, what can the legal system do to just stop these frivolous lawsuits from even being filed in the first place? Don't answer go, it now. Go ahead. I it won't answer, answer. It now. We're go talk about it <laughs> later in the podcast. Meanwhile, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, with a panel of two Trump judges and one Biden-appointed judge, weigh a critical, a vital issue in connection with the Department of Justice's prosecution of insurrectionists, and that's whether insurrectionists can be charged under 18 U.S.C. 1512, the obstruction charge, and The Trump judges, the Trump appointees seem to be sympathetic to preventing the Department of Justice from using the obstruction charges as they have been using it to convict insurrectionists. Popak, let's talk about it on this episode of Legal AF. And speaking about 18 U.S.C., 1512, the felony obstruction charge, the January 6th committee is set to meet on Monday to vote on criminal referrals to the DOJ. And the Subcommittee on Criminal Referrals is going to submit a report for voting on the referral of Donald Trump to the Department of Justice for criminal charges, including obstruction, and in an insurrection. Does this have any teeth to it at all? It really doesn't, but let's talk about it because it does have symbolic value. Popok and I may have a different take. We will break it down for you here on Legal AF. A lot of action in the Dominion lawsuit against Fox in Delaware this past week with Rupert Murdoch being deposed and Dominion also filed a spoliation sanctions motion for Fox's destruction of emails and other text messages of its top reporters relating to the 2020 election and Dominion. Let's talk about what spoliation is and what these sanctions could mean and the impact of Rupert Murdoch being deposed. Let's also talk about these loser MAGA Republican candidates from Arizona who have filed these frivolous lawsuits in the state very reminiscent in kind of form and content and substance of the conspiracy laden vexatious, and just completely ridiculous lawsuits that Trump had filed back in 2020. Let's talk about where those cases are right now. Um, and let's talk about again, just like how do these people how are they even allowed to file these absurd, uh, lawsuits in the first place. And also, it's raining subpoenas from Special Counsel Jack Smith, who has sent subpoenas to state election officials across the country. It seems like every day there is a new one that we learn about. This is Legal AF. We talk about the most consequential legal news of the week. I'm Ben Mycellus reporting from Washington, D.C., joined by my Good friend, colleague, and co-host Michael Popak. Michael Popak, how are you?
1: Ben, I love the rundown. I was going to ask you about, <clears throat> for those that watch on television, I was going to ask you about your location there. Um, and I'm glad I'm glad you're in DC. I can't think of a better group of people to be in DC than you and your brothers right now. And listening to your rundown, when you and I founded this show, we said there's just this interlinked, intermeshing of law politics and litigation, and you just can't uncouple them. And that rundown, the unifying theme there is how suffused law and politics are, but we're gonna break it down for you on this show.
0: And Popak, I'm in D.C., I can reveal, me and my brothers were at the White House Christmas party on Friday, that's one of the reasons I'm in D.C., and so um, it was really a time to reflect on just how blessed we are, how fortunate we are, We've started with a vision of speaking the truth with literally five followers and all our family members. That was about it. Um, and we probably had to convince some of them to, to, to join and in me. the first place because they didn't know what we were doing. Plus, I was Pop- the plus one. Popak was there when we had about six followers. And he goes, this is a rocket ship, Ben. And I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> if you say so, I, I appreciate the confidence. Visionary.
1: Of, I'm a visionary.
0: Uh, Popak's a visionary. <laughs> and so we're just so blessed that we've come a long way supporting democracy, promoting democracy, and being able to be there. Um, and see all of the rooms. It's credible. And none of it is possible um, without the support of all of the Midas Mighty out there. Um, and of course, you, Michael Popak and all the <laughs> others who make this show possible. Um, let's talk right about st- start by talking about Trump's most frivolous lawsuit yet. I mean, like he's filed a lot of frivolous lawsuits that he's been sanctioned. How can for. you choose
1: just one?
0: <laughs> I mean, we can talk <laughs> about the one from March where he filed this bizarre RICO, this racketeering lawsuit against like 30 individuals, including Hillary Clinton for saying mean things about him and his connections with Russia. It was time barred by the statute of limitations. As the judge described it, the uh, federal judge from the Southern District of Florida, like it was just the rantings and ravings and just collections of a maniac. I mean, I don't think the judge used those exact words, but pretty close to it. uh, Trump's lawyer, Alina Habba, was already sanctioned on that one. I think the judge said, like, literally everything in this is false, including like just making up that like this guy was like the head of the DNC. He's like, he's not the head of the DNC. Like You literally just made up everything. You say he lives in New York, he lives in Virginia, you know, and even like when one of the litigants would approach Trump's lawyer and be like, I, I don't live in the state. The response by Trump's lawyer is, well, there's a lot of people with your name in the state, so we're just going to keep it that I way. I think like, the last like, name was Smith.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of Smiths. And, and,
0: it, and the guy was like, I don't live in the state. I don't have the job you claimed I had. Like everything else is for so like, Well, But just so
1: everybody understands, when you and I sign a pleading, in federal court especially, but in any court, as officers of the court, we're supposed to have done minimal due diligence to get basic facts correct. Now, she wouldn't have gotten sanctioned. We're not suggesting that Alina Habba, and people know our healthy criticism of Alina Habba, but we're not saying that because she didn't get a one or two small facts right or wrong, She, the judge threw the book at her. But as you said, in 200 paragraphs, the judge said basically everything that you've written here is um, is not credible
0: and is false. So this one, Trump's been talking about Pulitzer like forever. He's obsessed with Pulitzer. We did a video on the Midas Touch Network where we showed a collection of every time he like in the pulitzer prize well, I hate the pulitzer <laughs> prize. You know who they should give the pulitzer prize to? Dan Bongino. They should give oh. the pulitzer prize to Dan Bongino. He also called for in 2015 when he was running for the National Enquirer's acquirer's story that Ted Cruz's dad killed JFK. <laughs> he said that the Pulitzer should have given their award to the National Enquirer for that story in the press conference where he spread that conspiracy. By the way, Ted Cruz is like, what can I do for you, Donald? I, you can call my wife ugly, call my dad the killer of JFK, say that I'm a murderer. But please, please, please let me help you overthrow the United States government. But I digress. Popok, tell us about this Pulitzer Prize <sighs> lawsuit that he filed in Okeechobee County. I know where it is. Uh, that's why I'm throwing <laughs> it to you. A, a, a county of 40,000 people that probably has no relation at all to this case.
1: It doesn't have any relationship <laughs> at all. And I have a feeling many, or if not all, of the Pulitzer Prize board that's been individually sued, including some of the most illustrious names in journalism who happen to sit on the board who have been sued individually, most of which have zero connection with the state of Florida, let alone Okeechobee, and will likely be able to have this case dismissed for lack of personal jurisdiction or improper venue, meaning the courthouse. Where's Lake Okeechobee? Where's Okeechobee County? Pardon me, Ben, I have a little bit of a cough this week. Now, (laughs) you had it last week, I have it this week. If you go up into a, if you go into a satellite and you look down at the state of Florida, there's a big hole towards the top quarter. That's Lake Okeechobee. Um, You can actually see it from space. And this is a county, a relatively rural county that used to get a lot of its revenue in the sugar industry, as you can imagine, Um, has zero connection to Donald Trump, who at best lives in Palm Beach County on the East Coast, which is 80 miles from the center of Okeechobee County. Um, So he has no connection there. He has no property there, no interest there. The law firm that's representing him in the case, and yes, he got another law firm, not the law firm that filed the case against Letitia James in, in uh, Southern District of Florida, now in, in front of Judge Middlebrooks to stop her investigation. Not that firm. He found another firm in Fort Pierce, which is also not in Okeechobee. It's up 95 from West Palm Beach at the top end of it. They obviously wanted to get as far away from J- Don Middlebrooks the judge that already threw the book, as you so eloquently outlined, at him for filing that other political screed that had, uh, you know, just a enemies list of political retribution and vendettas masquerading as a lawsuit. He wants to get away from Don Middlebrooks because when he just filed the case in Palm Beach County State Court, the Circuit Court for Palm Beach County, against Letitia James trying to stop her civil fraud case for $250 million against him and the children led by her office, which she's already moved to dismiss for lack of personal jurisdiction because she has no connectivity to the state of Florida for many other reasons. He That case got transferred or rem- what we call removed from state court to federal court by a one-page filing by Letitia James because two, two citizens of two different states that are that are in a lawsuit together – uh, depending upon the amount that's in controversy, a party can remove it to federal court under what's called diversity jurisdiction. And where did it go? It went to Don Middlebrook's. So he he does he wants to get a, he wants to be in Florida, but as far away from the Southern District as possible in case there's a removal again. So Okeechobee, lawyers from Fort Pierce, what are they claiming? Some people might be thinking the the Russia collusion defamation case. So this is this is Trump's argument in a nutshell. In 20, when he ran for office, and at least two news organizations, there were dozens of them, but at least the Washington Post and the New York Times, did exposés in dozens of articles investigating whether the Russians, through trolls on social media, through trying to hack our election system, basically things that Putin's already admitted that he was doing, um, tried to throw the election away from uh, towards Trump and away from Hillary Clinton it's it's often referred to under the rubric of the uh russia collusion trump calls it the russia collusion hoax although everyone in the intelligence community for america from the cia to everything related to the elections um has said and has proven that that putin through a series of hackers and trolls in russia and otherwise both tried to hack election equipment and and databases throughout the country. And we know this to be true, created fake Facebook and Twitter accounts to move the needle politically against Hillary Clinton and in favor of Donald Trump. And they're still doing it. So the, the the Pulitzer was awarded that year for national reporting based on this series of stories to a it was a it was a co-award one to the Washington Post and one to the New York Times. And all that happened in 2018. And we're beyond the statute of limitations for defamation related to that. Meaning you have to file your suit within the limitations period assigned by law. So, why are we even here? Because the, the Pulitzer Prize Board, at the request of Donald Trump, did open up two investigations to determine whether that reporting was false. And therefore, they should rescind the prize from the Washington Post and New York Times. So they listened to Donald Trump. They opened up an investigation. They hired an outside law firm. And they did two investigations. And they determined after two years of an investigation or more that everything in there was appropriate. There was nothing wrong with the headlines. There was nothing wrong with the reporting. It was proper First Amendment uh, journalism. And they published on their website. Here we're getting to defamation now. They published on their website a statement in July of 2022 that basically validated their award, said it was appropriate, nothing was wrong, there were no improper facts. They didn't go on to say Trump's a liar, uh, you know, Trump, uh, uh, you know, uh, anything about Donald Trump particularly. They just said. We stand by our prize awarding, we stand by the reporting, we've investigated it, we've looked at it, and we're not withdrawing the awards. Donald Trump says that statement on that website, which made its way through the internet to Florida and all the way to Okeechobee, apparently, is the grounds for this defamation case. Let's think about this for a minute. First of all, I'm not even sure, and and when you take over, Ben, I'm not even sure Donald Trump can be defamed. At this point, he says that his reputational harm to his person, his business and his and his property in Florida has been impacted by this one paragraph statement. I defy him at the appropriate time if this case isn't dismissed before to prove damage to his reputation. A guy that just went around shilling and grifting on NFT trading cards with his image created falsely by scraping images from the internet and putting his face on top of it and then selling them for millions of dollars and all the other things that have happened to him and the criminal prosecutions that are happening and will happen and indictments and convictions that his reputation is so in shambles because of a one paragraph pulitzer prize board saying we stand by our award i think he's got a a connection between potential liability and damage here i also think this case gets dismissed for lack of personal jurisdiction Um, And venue, I think it's in the wrong courthouse if it's gonna be anywhere, shouldn't be in Okeechobee County. So that's we're gonna see motion practice related to that. And then I think there's gonna be an attempt to move the case to federal court. Now, one thing on that, little inside baseball, one of the Pulitzer Prize board members happens to also live in Florida, in Pinellas County, which is near Tampa. Trump allegedly lives in Florida. If that's true, and those parties have to stay in the case, that may destroy diversity jurisdiction, because you can't have Florida, Florida on both sides of the V in order to remove it to federal court for jurisdiction. But even if it stays in state court, I think the case gets dismissed for lack of personal jurisdiction over any of these board members who have no connection at all to Okeechobee. And Trump doesn't even have a connection to Okeechobee County, let alone these people, or to, or to Florida. And we'll, we'll see the case dismissed. But that is the entire defamation case. There's not more. It's not like Popak's holding back. There's There's got to be more. It can't be one paragraph saying the reporting was fine. It's got to be something else. And I don't understand, Ben. This, I'll turn it over to you. I don't understand how this is even defamatory. It is it is the Russia. It doesn't say that Trump cooperated with the Russia in their he interference. Did. Trump
0: cooperated with Russia.
1: No, I so. know that. But the reporting doesn't say that. Yeah. The reporting says that it's Russia and other foreign agents worked because they thought it was in their best interest to have Donald Trump as president instead of Hillary Clinton and they in the horse race they picked a side it doesn't yes I agree with you that he was involved but that's not what the reporting says so how is it defamatory what the if anything it's defamatory to the Russians if it's not true which we know it is it's not defamatory to Trump that he was the beneficiary beneficiary of it but that's the entire case why he filed it because you know he's not getting enough good publicity lately, so he needs to be on the offensive and
0: and, and win some news cycle. Well, that's the point. So I'll go in in reverse order. So he filed, we've talked about this theme a lot here on Legal AF as well, and how the media is just absolutely the worst and doesn't know how to cover it. Because you get your pro-fascist right-wing media that coordinates these filings with Trump. So Trump files, Fox Digital writes their story right away, then New York Post, also earned by Murdoch, who we'll talk about in a little bit, they then publish like a sister piece to it. So now there are two uh, purported journalists, things that call themselves news, which really aren't. They masquerade as news. There are two articles that frame this as a real thing. We've talked about here on Legal AF that when these cases ultimately get dismissed, it gets very little coverage anywhere other than here on Legal AF. And so what was Trump after here? He was after the headline and he got the headline, he got a headline that he sued. If you read the articles, it feels like it's a legitimate case, they they treat it, they don't treat it like it's this frivolous, vexatious thing, and so, and then the, other media network, the both sides of media, they don't know how to use words anymore. So they don't even know how to address this and call it like vexatious and frivolous. Um, You know, They're too cowardly to address it. They're too afraid that they're going to get sued by him, even though they would win and, and get sanctions if he sued them for those things. So they don't use those words. And then the public's left a little bit confused unless you watch it like here on Legal AF. So the next point, how is it even potentially defamatory? It isn't. That's why at the top of the show, I called it a frivolous lawsuit, because there's nothing about it that is that has any basis. If you want to even talk about the Mueller investigation, which resulted in over 30 indictments, um, Paul Manafort, Trump's actual campaign manager. Just think about if the campaign manager of Biden or the campaign manager of Obama or the campaign manager of George W. Bush. Um, was found guilty in two separate federal courts in D.C. and Virginia for 18 felony counts here and seven felony counts there. That's what happened to Manafort in connection with the Mueller investigation. How about Mike Flynn, who pled guilty for obstruction, who was also parted like Manafort and so many others in Trump's orbit who were actually found guilty in the Mueller report? Now, Mueller did I think, a huge disservice to the nation by putting these little cute little footnotes and saying, oh, Donald Trump could be prosecuted here and here, but I'm just going to leave it to Bill Barr to make that call because I'm not going to prosecute a sitting president. That's utterly absurd. But if you want to look at Mueller and frankly, you want to look at the Pulitzer's conduct here, you can't give Donald Trump an inch because if you give him an inch, he takes your throat. You can't give this sicko maniac a freaking inch. You got to stomp him. It's the only way you can treat and deal with these like tyrant wannabe despots like that. You crush them immediately, which I hope is what Jack Smith is going to do. And what I mean by this with respect to Pulitzer that you bring up, Pulitzer, oh, we're going to do an internal investigation and hire an outside law firm because that's what we do and we want to show and I sorry I'm cursing <laughs> but like but like no you don't I wasn't sure where that was going. <laughs> yeah you, you know you 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 don't do that. You don't do that. And it makes me angry frankly because when you do that you've now given him an extension of the statute of limitations to file the frivolous lawsuit in the you know in the fir- like, like that he wanted to file in 2018. So there's no benefit to doing this person any favors and people need to learn that. Treat him like a criminal, treat him like a con artist, crush him and be done with him. These lawsuits are utterly absurd. And when you wanna talk about what the legal system can do to stop these frivolous lawsuits, they really need to disbar these lawyers, full stop. People like Alina Habba, people like Christina Bob, people like Giuliani, who by the way, was at a disbarment uh, hearing in uh, Washington, D.C., which is a weird hearing to begin with. He had an inactive license in Washington, D.C. Yeah, but, using-
1: but when your New York license is suspended, the only place you can have a bar license left is D.C.
0: Yeah, so, you know, but and Giuliani's like, I'm just a lawyer, though, at the end. Just representing a client with an unpopular no, position. Wait, That's not what you charge with. you're wait, charged with. we are charged with filing a frivolous lawsuit without complete merit. We need to get rid of these lawyers from having licenses. Yeah,
1: the, the, on Giuliani, the best comment in that, and you and I covered it in our own hot takes, the best comment in that was he hired two judges to represent, former judges in New York to represent him. And they're pretty well considered in uh, among the New York bar circles to represent him there. I mean if i were him i would have picked up a washington dc bar former judge to represent him but okay and one of the judges leventhal said to the panel we got to keep politics out of that now he's charged with trying to overturn a free and fair election by filing improper things at least in pennsylvania not on merit about election fraud that didn't happen how do you remove and drain politics out of the litigation and out of his actions when his very actions was an assault on democracy and on politics. It's a stupid comment. But it shows you, as you said, if you give them an inch, they take, you know, a marathon, a
0: mile. And that's what authoritarians do. They want to exhaust you. They exhaust (laughs) you and exhaust you. And then you finally say, all right, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then they got you. And that's why you got to stand up to it. You got to stand up. All right, Popak, let's talk about the D.C. Court of Appeals. You did a great hot take this week, as you like to call them, hot takes. (laughs) Um, Break break this down for us because it's critical. This is so big. It's so important. One of the main tools used by the Department of Justice against these insurrectionists is the 18 U.S.C. 1512 specifically C2 um, of uh, 18 USC 1512 the obstruction charge which carries with it a 20 year sentence um, and so it's a it's it's a serious penalty it's been used in addition to a number of the other charges that have been brought against these insurrectionists and let me just pull up the statute for us right now 18 USC 1512 so I could read for you you know what it is, what's at stake here, um, and what the opposition to it is. But uh, let me read it for you right now. 18 U.S.C. 1512 C2 says, whoever corruptly, the two, otherwise obstructs, influences, or impedes any official proceeding or attempts to do so shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. It seems pretty clear (laughs) in the statute that that means, oh, Ben, the
1: the naivete of you reading a statute and hoping that it applies to a crime.
0: The words don't matter, (laughs) you know, but here you look, Judge Carl Nichols, who's a Trump appointee, who I think has been generally good on his insurrection rulings. This was one of the really bad ones. I guess all of his generally good for this really bad one. Like this really bad one probably disqualifies one. all the good because he ruled that the obstruction ca- charge cannot be brought against insurrectionist Popak unless it like specifically relates to like the documents. So like if they like yeah. tore up the document, whoosh,
1: whoosh, the elect, the, the electoral <laughs> votes get torn if up. They,
0: if they literally like tore up the votes, that's not what it says. And it, yeah. it, it could be a real, you know, it could be a real problem. Um, because if you can charge these people with obstruction, you could charge them with some other stuff, but nothing that carries with it this 20-year sentence. So Popak, what went down yeah. in the court of appeals? Because this was an appeal of Nichols not letting the DOJ bring the obstruction charge. So
1: this is a potentially a devastating setback for the Department of Justice. I don't want to undersell this. Um, not only in the, in the current indictments that they have against and six insurrectionists of the 900 300 have been indicted charged and some of them already convicted of the highest count in the department of justice's arsenal which is the obstruction that you the obstruction of an official proceeding which you you outline you know right on point carrying a 20 year term as you said the department of justice has other things that they can bring as crimes that don't exactly fit as well, and are and have less penalties in terms of the number of years, more like five to ten years, which ties the hands of the sentencing judge <clears throat> to sentence these people because you can only sentence them pursuant to crimes that they've been convicted of. And let me just point this out again. There are already Gen 6 insurrectionists and defendants that have already been convicted of this very count because every judge but Judge Carl Nichols in the dc circuit court and other places has already found that this is a properly applied crime to to fit these facts he's the only one but and 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 remember uh people have been convicted like Stuart rhodes and kelly meggs of the um oath keepers the proud boy trial that's going on soon has those counts in it. The new Oath Keepers trial that's currently going on has those counts in it, and people have already pled guilty to it. So if this gets ripped out, it doesn't just impact future prosecutions, it changes the game and tilts the playing field in favor of the Jan Six defendants right now. People that have been convicted of it in plea deals or otherwise would have to have it removed. So if that's the only count, they're now free. Um, Rhodes and others will argue for new trials Because it was such a part of the trial presentation, they'll argue that the only way to fix it, now that that count has been eliminated, if that's what's going to happen by the DC Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court in the future, is to retry the case, terrible ramifications for the Department of Justice, and they use it as a giant sledgehammer in their negotiations and try to get plea deals. Why is it on life support? Because of what you and I heard in the oral argument before a three-judge panel at the D.C. Court of Appeals. The three judges that the random wheel selected, although I'm a little bit questionable about how random this is, considering one of them we just talked about, Judge Katzis, in another related case related to Trump that just happened. Because he
0: worked for Trump. He was Trump's Trump's White House.
1: It's worse. So here's the panel. Florence Pan, who I... Who I love. It's one of the amazing picks of Joe Biden. She had been nominated by Obama. It didn't get out of committee before he his 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 term was over. And Biden eventually renominated her. She's the first Asian American to ever be on the DC Court of Appeals, and she took Katanji Brown Jackson's seat when Katanji got elevated to the um to the Supreme Court. But the headwinds, she's on she's in favor of of applying this 2002 obstruction count that yes, Congress created in the aftermath of the Enron scandal. Everybody forgets that one. That was like one of the major collapses of a company. It's sort of like the FTX of the day. Um, It turns out there was no there there. There was no real uh, revenue being generated by real business practices, despite uh, Enron being allegedly an energy company. And they were not properly cooperating with regulators in turning over documentation and the law in the books at that time before 2002 didn't seem to fit so congress passed a new law but just because congress passes a new law it doesn't say in the body of the st- of the statute that you've read this will only apply to enron like situations where somebody doesn't turn over documents in fact they used very broad language any if not just tearing up destroying altering mutilating documents yes that is in the statute but also anything else that otherwise obstructs with an official proceeding very very broad people used to argue that the racketeer influencing a corrupt organization act which we call RICO only applied to mobsters only applied to the prosecution of people in the mafia or in organized crime and it's been expanded to you know the Trump organization and other and other organizations that Fit the 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 dimensions and the definitions of that statute. Same here with this with uh, this uh, statute. Although the other two repump, a Trump appointees, which is where this is going to turn, which is Justin Walker, just a uh, judge Justin Walker, thirty nine, to be frank, never tried a case in his life, never was a judge before he became an appellate judge, and is at a Kavanaugh apologist. How do I know that? One, he was a clerk for Kavanaugh. And two, he gave 117 interviews. I'm not making that number up. 117 interviews to support the Kavanaugh confirmation process when Kavanaugh was on life support because of allegations about sexual assault and abuse by Kavanaugh when he was in college and otherwise. And who was on television constantly? Justin Walker, who got rewarded with a seat on the DC Court of Appeals, the most prestigious court in America and the feeder program for the Supreme Court? Justin Walker. And Popok as you said, yeah. just just you got to say it one more time.
0: <laughs> okay. Never did a trial. In Never his did a trial
1: was never a judge before he became an appellate never judge a,
0: okay never a, I get never a judge but like <laughs> never did a trial is like like how could he like do a, a trial he was all, he he served he was a I mean Kavanaugh. even as a I'm saying even when he was a yeah. lawyer no. he had no experience being doing things as an actual lawyer well, well
1: let's before. do it this way so people understand if you go right from college through law school when you come out and you're a lawyer you're about 25. You may be a wonder kid like Ben, and maybe Ben was a little bit younger, but I was 25. So by by 39, 38, when he was confirmed, you've been a lawyer for 13 years. He was a clerk for Kavanaugh for, for almost four. He was a clerk for Kennedy. He did a double Supreme Court clerkship. That took up two thirds of the time that he was out of law school. Then he clerked for, then he was like an associate for a couple years in a law firm, skipped being a judge at the trial level, It went right to being not only appointed by Trump to a court of appeals, but the most prestigious, just one notch, half notch below the Supreme Court is the D.C. Court of Appeals. Okay, everybody comes from it that ends up on the on the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, including Ketanji Brown Jackson, um, Kagan, Merrick Garland, had he been appointed, had he been confirmed, would have come from there. So just so, so what happens at the at the hour and a half oral argument and why do you and I think it's on life support? First of all, Kat Katzis, who not only was a Trump appointee, but in the Trump White House as a Trump lawyer, as a Trump deputy White House counsel. He didn't feel he had to recuse himself on anything related to Trump at all, as most of them don't, including the Supreme Court. They get their guidance from the Supreme Court. And if Clarence Thomas isn't going to recuse himself, nobody is. So Greg Katzen, and Greg Katzen right away said, nah, I read the statute. I think it only applies to corporate crime. Like Enron, and I don't. This there's, this was a lot of things Jan six, but it wasn't corporate crime. And I think the more you read it out loud, DOJ, and the more you argue, the less persuasive your argument is. Okay, so put him on the far extreme. He's going to vote no against reversing Judge Nichols, meaning he's going to vote yes to take obstruction of official proceeding out of the Department of Justice arsenal and remove it from all the convictions that have already happened. So you got Florence Pan on one side who said the unprecedented nature of the attack on the Capitol, these facts, you can't fault the prosecutors to try to find crimes that are on the books to fit these facts and obstruction of an official proceeding. Can anybody doubt that the counting of the electoral votes was the, op- is an official proceeding and the object of their conspiracy or their actions was try to stop that county? Why else were they there on Jan. 6? The reason they broke into the Capitol I mean, nobody disputes this. It's because they were trying to stop the count. Yes, they were trying to hang in a murderous lust. They were trying to hang elected officials. That was like the byproduct. That was like for fun and games. What they were trying to do was to stop the electoral vote any way, shape, and form. And that is technically, legally a violation of that count. So you got Florence Pan on one side. She's a vote to reverse Judge Nichols, keep obstruction on the books for the Jan 6 defendants, Greg Katzen's on the other side. So what are you left with? The 39-year-old Kavanaugh apologist who's never tried a case, who's also known as Justin Walker. And Justin Walker, first he did a little, what I like to call pearl clutching, where he was like aghast that the advocate for the Jan 6 defendants, this guy uh, Nick Smith, um, argued that this was, Jan 6th was the same moral equivalency factual equivalency as all of the lawyers that descended on florida in in um 2000 in 2000 in bush versus ok first Gore. off
0: Popak, talk about not knowing your audience though i was there. Though, there i was
1: there talk about ten year <laughs> wrong argument all right so let me make the argument then i'll say but, you, but, but uh, also tell Kavanaugh
0: was one, of, was the one of the lawyers that was right. there on the bush <laughs> side who was doing all of who was doing all of that stuff by the so way michael
1: yeah, Michael Popak yeah. was one of the lawyers. I was in. I lived in West Palm Beach. I was. I was on the streets and otherwise involved with with supervising vote counting related to the what eventually became a five to four decision to give the election to George W. Bush. Um, but at in at the grassroots, it was in the streets in Palm Beach County, primarily where I lived and where I was a lawyer about vote counting, and so lawyers from all these Republican lawyers, including Kavanaugh, went down to Florida and and they had the right to do that. The point is that was a lawful exercise of First Amendment rights, of the right to counsel. If you're a Republican or a Democrat and you wanna jump into the fray, into the rugby scrum that was the vote counting process related to Florida and Bush versus Gore, that's great. For every one of me, there was somebody else on the other side. Okay, he compares that and says, but that would be the equivalent of obstructing an official proceeding. And and Walker, who clerked for Kavanaugh, and as I said, was a Kavanaugh apologist, said, wait a minute, stop. <laughs> he didn't say my boss was there. He said, you're not trying to compare the murderous attack on the Capitol with people with repelling down the Capitol, trying to hang people using weapons and physical violence with the lawful exercise of, of constitutional rights and First Amendment in Florida County votes. you Stop, don't even go there. And Florence Pan jumped on him too. But my sense is, and I think you may agree to this, is that clutching of the pearls is not going to like change his eventual vote, which is gonna be, because he's the swing vote got to be in favor of this is where this is really troublesome in favor of judge nichols and against the department of justice on the obstruction count do you think walker goes another way despite him being aghast at the comparison
0: no i think the best shot the doj will have is to request an unbank hearing which is get the full dc circuit to step in have the full panel there but even then it'll go to the united states supreme court At that point, it'll be kind of so high profile that even though I think the Supreme Court's inclination would probably to side with the fact that this isn't obstruction, it's so high profile and the Supreme Court has not wanted to tip the scales in favor of insurrectionists or in favor of Trump. There's a 50-50 shot at the Supreme Court. Regardless, regardless, it is going to the Supreme Court. But but Popak, one of the arguments that was being made by Katzis and um, and, and lots of other right wingers um, is, well, this statute wasn't specifically created to address the insurrection. It's like, well, <laughs> Sorry. no one ever Sorry. expected in American history that you were going to have a, a, a sitting president inspire, encourage, and direct the conduct of these extremist terrorists to invade the Capitol building. It's unfathomable. And it's one thing that I I reflected on yesterday as I was doing some of these videos is that our entire legal structure, frankly, was not ready for the insurrection in terms of things these insurrectionists could be charged with, because even when I talked about the sentencing of that guy, Doug Jensen, where at the highest level of the sentencing for these crimes, Jensen, you know, got on the high end of the sentencing schedule, which was like five years. And then I'm thinking to myself, like, he's the guy who chased Eugene Goodman, tried to attack the police officer when he stormed into the Capitol building. He was one of the most like uh, active people engaged in all of the insurrection, and 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 he got. Five years, like to me, that guy should get fifty years, and and there really isn't the right, there isn't the right structure um, in place. And one of the things I think Congress needs to do, but it's going to be problematic because you have a Republican party that wants another one. I don't know how else to say it, folks. That's the reality. You have the Republican party that wants another insurrection. I mean, I don't want to get into the whole Twitter file things, you know, and it's like. The Republicans are like, oh, my gosh, the the FBI is reading tweets. It's like the FBI or the feds. I, I, I don't know how, to, how else to break it to you. They wh- 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 where, wh- where have they lived? Where have they lived? Like careful. The F- the <laughs>
1: you're, you're getting coffee. <laughs> so look, to, you, th- those are all great points. And, and one of the roles of the Jan 6 committee that we're going to talk about next. And this links per, uh, greatly to perfectly to what we just talked about. Because one of the things the 6 Committee is going to refer criminally, we'll talk about it next, is an obstruction of official proceeding counts against Donald Trump. So even they're using it. So it's really important that we win, that democracy wins on the issue of applying old laws on the books to new crimes that are being developed. That whole principle that you don't have to have a specific, right? The, the legislature... Congress doesn't have to be um, visionaries and think about how corrupt will our future presidents be and others to try to cling to power. Do we have enough laws on the books? And you're right. One of the things the Jan 6 Committee and Congress needs to approach, and whether it's this Congress, because the 118th Congress is going to be, at least for two years, on the House side, dominated by Republicans, so we're not going to get anything accomplished there. But we have to reassess now take the plane up 10,000 feet and say, what are the guardrails of democracy and liberty? Did they hold? And by and large they did, but are they sufficient to punish appropriately, symmetrically, um, proportionally, to what happened? Do we have enough crimes on the books? Is the 1880s and 1870s insurrection acts? Is that enough? are these new laws that some courts are questioning whether they can be stretched to apply to these facts, despite the fact that on their literal face, they should be able to. Is that going to be appropriate? But what, what the Gen 6 Committee was also supposed to be doing, just like the House Ways and Means Committee in getting Trump's tax returns, is recommending policy and bills and law that should be put on the books to address some of the failures of, of the current legal structure and scheme to, to uh, punish, uh, reprimand, and police bad conduct and bad behavior, some of which you and I, even doing this show, as steeped as we are in the daily craziness and machinations and strategy and tactics of these people, we can't even envision. We're not creative enough to think about what some other Trump could do now being given license to watching Trump. Hopefully he'll be convicted, but watching Trump in action. I don't know what DeSantis is going to come up with but just watching him in action in the little little petri dish of florida is scary we got to make sure we got laws on the books that punish these people appropriately and but we can only apply the laws that are on the books at the present time department of justice can't just go let's create a crime right now and apply it we have they have to go thumb through the book electronically, and say, what are the the laws that may have been broken? This was all done internally as part of the prosecutor's manual, DOJ manual, to decide which ones to charge with. And yes, they probably had an internal debate about, are we going to get blowback on this because it, it didn't come out of a corporate crime the way Enron did? And they said, it's on the books. We have to apply it. Go. And they got convictions. And every judge but Judge Nichols, every judge but Judge Nichols agreed with them. But but you're right. It's going to go on bonk to the full panel of the of the D.C. Circuit, which is just on this side of Democratic appointees. So we might be sort of okay there, but I'm not sure. And then you're right. We're going to have to see what the the super right wing of the uh, Supreme Court does um, as we lead into our Jan. 6th segment. Right.
0: Let's get into our Jan. 6th segment. But before doing so, let me tell you about our next partner. It's Athletic Greens. I take AG1. Buy Athletic Greens literally every day. And I gave AG1 a try because I hated taking all of those pills and vitamins and gummies. And I wanted to get all of my kind of daily nutrition and a supplement that tastes great and is easy to make in the morning. And so what I do with Athletic Greens is I take this green powder, I put it in my cup, Put a lid on it, put some water in first, shake it up, I drink it. It tastes good. It is cheaper than a cold brew habit, and you get the energy you need for today. You feel good. Any person who watches Legal AF knows how much I really like. AG1. And so it's an honor to talk about it on this podcast. And I've tried a ton of different supplements out there, but this is different and the ingredients are super high quality. And that's how I got started with AG1 is that I was even looking at some of these other supplements I was taking. And I was saying it didn't have all of the nutrients I needed in a day. And I very quickly noticed that AG1 was helping me with improved digestion. My skin felt great. I got better nights of sleep. I really, really enjoyed it. And I found it just to be a really seamless, and easy daily habit to continue each and every day athletic greens it was also founded in 2010 it's been part of millions of mornings ever since including my morning and i hope it will become part of your morning routine i love promoting healthy things on the show i love when we have sponsors who support our show, but also support daily health. And this is one of the reasons that I think you should try Athletic Greens. So if you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash legal AF that's athleticgreens.com/legalaf check it out also got to talk about popoc you know as you start getting older um, your body changes a little bit i don't know if you know that are Popok. you pointing
1: are you pointing at me particularly no maybe
0: getting a bit of a dad bod <laughs> but you know it's 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 all good so <laughs> when you <laughs> when you want more energy to counter the negative physical effects of aging, which everybody but Popak, I think, is subject <laughs> to. I don't know how Popak does it. I wanna talk about <laughs> nugenics, you like that, Popak. I'm turning this into a very complimentary. It's true, though. I just nugenics, had a birthday. I
1: won't n- mention which one, but I just had, a, okay, You just
0: ahead. had a birthday. When you told me a birthday, I was like, no way, Popak. <laughs> well, and then you tell me stories that you were a lawyer in 2000 and you were doing it <laughs> and you Dude, were- Dude, I
1: was a lawyer in 1991
0: that's unbelievable that's unbelievable in yeah. 1991 i was watching ninja Two teenage teenage mutant ninja turtles i was too
1: that's the sad
0: part <laughs> i gotta get through this read nugenics no, no, n-u-g-e-n-i-x no. total t testosterone booster with testosterone will help you turn back the clock re re-ener- re-energize your workouts get you better results at the gym and help you look and feel like the man you really want to be. Nugenics Total T contains man-boosting key ingredients like testophen. It's been validated in five clinical studies shown to boost free testosterone levels in men. And while every product professes quality, many other products use generic ingredients that are often far less than clinical grade. With Nugenics Total Tea, you get the same clinical potency levels used in the trials, and Nugenics formulation is backed by 10 years of science and research. Now, get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text LEGAL L E G A L to 231-231. Text now to get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever with key ingredients to help you get back into shape fast absolutely free text legal to 231-231 text legal to 231-231 texting enrolls you into recurring automated text message consent not required to purchase message and data rates may apply Michael Popak Michael Popak tell us about this January these January 6th committee potential referrals that are going to be on they're going to be made Monday you know, we got the back in are you November, Guys, are we doing are we doing a Midas uh, uh, feed with Tony? We're definitely doing the Midas feed. Are you not? Are you not lined up as no, a? Oh uh, yeah, Tony
1: texted me while we we're on the while we we're on the recording right now. <laughs> nice. Yeah,
0: we are going to be live on Monday right here on the Midas Touch Network, where we'll be covering uh, what the January sixth committee will be doing in a public hearing on monday and they will be taking votes i think that's pretty much what they're going to be doing On day yeah. just voting on these criminal referrals so you may recall back in november we heard about this subcommittee made up of a number of uh of january 6 committee members and so you had like um who, who'd you have popak it, yeah it's had, all
1: it's all it's all the lawyers it's uh liz, which liz could,
0: cheney with, lofgren liz cheney
1: jamie jamie raskin lofgren from your home state um Liz, you schiff. Oh, I said Liz Jen- and schiff that's it it's 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 the lord only one of which ever served as a prosecutor which will when you get to me i'll talk a little bit about that
0: let's get to you Schiff was the prosecutor <laughs>
1: that's right it's always and California. so
0: and so what we learned is they've done their work they've done their homework they're going to be submitting their report regarding criminal referrals there will be votes taken by the full committee about whether to refer right these are i i won't ruin it pope i give you give, no, give, no, no. Give, give that
1: yeah i i liked your hot take on it your trending take on it the other day um look the sub there, there this is like we didn't really talk about it much there is the main committee and then there's like four or five subcommittees that have also been working behind the scenes focused on different things one subcommittee was following the money one subcommittee was following you know uh you know on the money flow one was following the 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 uh the actual acts on on jan 6. one was focused on trump and one was focused on like potential crimes and so the potential crimes committee um led by liz cheney who you know is is uh famous for reading out loud things like the obstruction of official proceeding uh statute the way you did on this podcast she did during one of the eight hearings already as she was leading into some new evidence and presentation of the evidence and the report that's coming out is separate we're going to get a it's already circulated they've already printed a multi thousand page report that's broken down into seven or eight categories which follow along with the same seven or eight prongs of the strategy that Trump used to undermine the fair elections and to cling to power and interfere with the peaceful transfer of power from before the election casting doubt on the um casting doubt on the validity of the election process so people would lose faith in it calling it the big lie years before it even started um led by roger stone leading to the act so taking away confidence in the election attacking it the night of the election um attacking it from the night of the election all the way through uh through jan 6 filing all those lawsuits the crimes the violence all of that So that's that's all going to be outlined And then there is this internal struggle about whether they're going to make a recommendation now here's where i take a little different tack than most people you said it right this is a non-binding symbolic recommendation that will be voted on on monday by the jan 6 committee do i think the subcommittee should make the recommendation if they believe it's it's proper yes i do do i think even though it's symbolic in nature as the final capstone to all of the investigative work the hard work over two years that this committee has done most of which we've seen the highlights of, but not all of it. We'll see more of it in the final reporting. Yes, I do. Do I think it ties the hands of the Department of Justice a bit? Yes, I do. Do I also think that the Jan Six Committee should have been more cooperative with the Department of Justice through this moment in turning over 1,000 plus witness statements and all of the evidence they had accumulated to allow the prosecutors in parallel to do their job? Yes, I do. Because it's 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 publicly known that the that the Jan 6 committee has been very territorial over all of their work and has not played nice in the sandbox for the Department of Justice, forcing them to send multiple letters, including right before Jack Smith was appointed, demanding a turnover of that material. That issue is important and we're gonna see it played out over time because there is an argument that the defendants are going to be given a, a gift that the jan 6 defendants are going to be given that if any of the material in the hands of the jan 6 committee which is the government is exculpatory to the defendants meaning they we would help them with proving their innocence and it wasn't turned over in a timely fashion we may have what's called a brady or a jenks violation because the department of because the jan 6 committee has been holding their card so close to the vest you why give them that gift that's that's one of my issues with it. The last one is there it's the reporting is already out. You did it. I've seen it through uh, Kyle Cheney that it looks like they're going to make at least 3 criminal referrals related to Donald Trump himself. Obstruction of an official proceeding, which we just at length talked about why that could be on life support at the appellate level, a conspiracy to defraud the US government, which is obstructing with a guilty mind through dishonest means. Um, the election process or, the, or this process and at least one other ones. So that's going to happen. Um, but the, the problem I have is the standards by which the Jan Six committee, based on the evidence that's at their disposal, is different than what the Department of Justice is going to be doing. A, you don't have a lot of prosecutors on that group. Got a lot of lawyers. I mean, lawyers are smart. I was never a prosecutor. I think I'm pretty okay in the legal world. You are too. But you don't have the prosecutorial eye that a prosecutor has. Secondly, there has been the development of substantial new evidence that only the Department of Justice has, that not even the Gen 6 Committee has. It runs both ways. They have developed a body of recent evidence. We're going to talk about it towards the end. Jack Smith, Jack Smith, Jack Smith. It's raining subpoenas. But they've developed through going to the grand jury court, which I'll call it, the Court of Beryl Howell, and getting dozens of attorneys stripped of their attorney-client privilege protection and executive privilege being stripped by members of the West Wing for Donald Trump and having them testify in a way that they never were able to testify or didn't testify at the Jan 6th committee level. So the Department of Justice has more and better evidence in certain areas than even the Jan 6 committee does but the Jan 6 committee is going to make a report and recommendation effectively to the department of justice based on the static evidence that they've accumulated which doesn't include the new evidence that jack smith's team has developed and Yes, it's going to put pressure on Merrick Garland, which is, again, proves the genius of Merrick Garland in advance of the Jan Six Committee's criminal referral, which is by its very nature coming from a political body. You can call it bipartisan if you like, but it is a political body that's making the recommendation. Look at the genius of Merrick Garland to set up a special counsel that is immune from proper attacks on his partiality or his partisanship, knowing that the Jan Six Committee was going to, call for the head of Donald Trump from a political vantage point. I think it's brilliant on Merrick Garland to have done that because think of it the other way, Ben, he doesn't do that. And now it looks like to the average citizen and, you know, Trump will pick up that mantle that, that the, oh, look, the Democrats for political purposes are weaponizing criminal prosecution. They're leaning on the prosecutors and the DOJ improperly. And I'm just the victim. This puts a nice buffer between that in the form of Jack Smith
0: agree with you. And and look, as we, as we said earlier, you, you don't give Trump an inch because Trump is If you give him an inch, he takes your throat. And like, even this morning, Trump goes, our country is sick inside very much like a person dying of cancer. The crooked FBI, the so called department of justice and intelligence, all parts of the Democrat party and system is the cancer. These weaponized thugs and tyrants must be dealt with or our once great, beautiful country will die. I mean, this guy, he's spiraling. He is a maniac. He is completely dangerous. And now you've seen it, Popak. They're like Bill Barr's a, a Democratic stooge and Christopher Ray is a Democratic stooge. They're people Trump appointed these are these are these are Republicans. I mean, Christopher Ray's not a MAGA, but he's a Republican. Bill Barr is a MAGA Republican. He just wouldn't go so deep down into conspiracy land where he thought he'd look foolish, but he went pretty far. And so when Trump talks about like in 2020, the FBI engaged in all of it, this is your FBI, you were you ran the government like we're what, what talking about. These were, these were your people. Anyway, I digress. After
1: there. after this, uh, I need a drink. <laughs> exactly. uh, I need a drink. But, but wait, but wait, because you love
0: my segues. Have you ever been to Scotland? I have never been to Scotland.
1: I've always wanted to go for a scotch tasting, which I'm going to accomplish sometime in my life. But you, we have an opportunity, and our viewers and listeners have an opportunity as a novelty to own a small piece of Scotland and get a title for themselves to boot. So we have a legal, legally interesting product from our sponsors. Perfect for Legal AF. Legal AF. The sponsor is Highland Titles. Scotland is unusual. And see, we're learning new, new law every day, Ben. And that it has legally defined in the Land Registration Act of 17, uh, 1979, a souvenir plot of land. These plots of land are so small that their value is solely commemorative or sentimental. They're novelty, but you can buy them as a gift. Because these plots cannot be registered with the Scottish Land Registry, there is no conveyancing solicitors or land taxes involved. Even though these plots cannot be registered in the conventional way, customers obtain, by owning them, a personal right of ownership. This is a valid form of ownership, which can be passed on to future generations. So what can you do with one square foot of Scottish land? Ben, what do you think you can do with it? I don't know. You you tell me, Popeye. Highland Titles allows you to style yourself as a lord or lady of your estate. Lord Mycelos. Oh, my God. I I pinched myself. Each luxury gift pack comes with a personalized certificate, which displays your new style and identifies your unique plot number. And it's not too late for the holidays because you can actually download your personalized certificate after checking out. Use the discount code LEGALAF. To receive twenty-five percent off at www.highlandtitles.com. Www.highlandtitles, Lord Popok, I've always, I've waited for this day,
0: Lord Popak, Lord Popak. Let's talk about this Dominion lawsuit against Fox. Things are getting interesting. There's a trial date. Set for April 2023, it's an existential case for Fox. You know, 1.6 billion dollars is no joke and
1: billion with a B.
0: One, yeah, 1.6 yeah. billion, and they're facing a ton of other lawsuits uh, to uh, to come. Um, so the most recent developments this past week Rupert Murdoch was deposed by uh, Dominion. It's the first time Murdoch's really been under oath in a high profile way since uh, 2011 when he appeared before the British Parliament after his Sunday National Enquirer style tabloid there. Um oh engaged. they
1: hacked all the cell phones.
0: Hacked cell phones, engaged yeah. in all this crime. There he threw his son James under the bus. Like <laughs> James started talking. He's like, James did it. James we did haven't it. Seen it. We, I'm we haven't fix seen it. I'm, gonna fix it. I'm gonna fix it. Okay, for those
1: that love succession, which is based on Rupert Murdoch and his family and these kind of stories, you might think we're talking about a last a lost episode of Succession. But he literally, as Ben just said, they hacked phones of journalists and other people and celebrities and published it in their newspapers, the Murdoch family. And then Rupert threw James, who we haven't seen since, under the, bu- under the bus for having done it.
0: Yeah, at, a, at the public hearing before Parliament, James starts talking and then Rupert's like, let me talk right now for a second. This is the most humbling experience for me and I am going to fix what he did. No joke. this is succession. It's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. So Rupert Murdoch was deposed um, and around the same time, maybe been a week before, but right around the same time, um, we learned about it uh, earlier in the week was that Dominion had filed what's called a spoliation motion against Fox for their deletion, which appears to be either intentional or or certainly, very, very, very reckless of like their key reporters' text messages and emails about Dominion and Popok. You wanted to take us through quickly,
1: yeah. I'll do a
0: and why this is so critical and what the sanctions could be here.
1: Yeah. So you got a one point six billion dollar case because of Fox, um, Fox News, and all of its on-air personalities like Bartiromo and Hannity and Dobbs and Carlson <clears throat> all promoted these uh, theories. And these alleged opinions that Dominion um, was in bed with the Venezuelan government was allowing its equipment to be hacked to turn the election in favor of Biden against Trump, you know basically attacking their business model and undermining their um, credibility uh, to ever attract another local government or government to hire them to uh, roll out their election voting their election voting machines, destroying their business. And they did it all, according to Dominion, with actual malice, meaning a complete reckless disregard for the truth, knowing that it was either untrue or a reckless disregard for whether... We we don't care whether it's true or not. We're publishing it or we're allowing it to be on our airwaves. And as you reported and I reported... They've already – the judge, and this is sitting in a different court that we've talked about usually in Delaware, sitting in the Delaware Superior Court, not the Chancery Court, Superior Court in front of a former colleague of mine, Eric Davis, who used to work in a law firm that I used to work at a million years ago. And it's a rough and tumble courthouse in Delaware, unlike this kind of staid, almost – British style system in Delaware Chancery Court, where the Twitter case has been and other things we've talked about. In Superior Court, it's like the Wild, Wild West. And they've already, and they, okay, they will, they have already, um, Uh, the judge has already found that all of the employment contracts for all of these on-air personnel have to be turned over to the other side to see if there's a bonus structure where they get bonuses and more money based on ratings Um, turn over all the documents everybody's been deposed all the on-air people have been deposed Um, Lachlan Murdoch was deposed last week Rupert, over two days. So we're at the very, very top of this thing. And then in the middle of it, you get a motion that that they've destroyed documents that should have been preserved and turned over at the appropriate time. And if the judge, Eric Davis, who so far hasn't suffered any fools with Fox and has been sort of annoyed by them and is putting this on a very fast track towards a trial, and has already denied their motion to dismiss if he finds that there was intentional spoliation of evidence destruction of evidence in order not to turn it over to the other side there is going to be a penalty to be paid including an instruction to the future jury that they should make an adverse inference in conclusion about the reason that that was destroyed so it, the jury would know about it and the jury would be instructed to penalize Fox News and assume that everything that was destroyed was really bad for them, which is great for Dominion and terrible for Fox. So they're going to fight hard against spoliation if that really happens. In the meantime, this case has gotten so active that the owner of the entire organization, the 85 plus year old. Rupert Murdoch has had to testify over two days, we don't know the results of it, it will become more public as they file motion practice in court. And as we get as we get to the jury, but this is there is nothing that's going to derail this case, not even summary judgment. This is going to a jury trial, unless there is a settlement, a huge 910 11 figure, whatever settlement with Fox News, because I don't think Dominion can go away for anything less.
0: You know, and I think the big one of the big pieces of evidence there is you have Suzanne Scott, the CEO of Fox News Dominion, was able to find an email shortly after the election, where Suzanne Scott, CEO of Fox says, don't give the crazies an inch. Not only did they give the crazies an inch, they let the crazies literally take over the network, which goes to your point, Popak, the malice um, and the reckless disregard of the truth. They are speaking of malice and reckless disregard for the truth. Let's talk about these MAGA Arizona loser candidates, losers in general, losers in the election, losers in how they handle defeat, the hat trick of Loserville right here in Arizona. Um, you know, you had Mark Fincham, who ran for Secretary of State against the Secretary of State elect Adrian Fontes. Um, Fincham's lawsuit in Maricopa County was just thrown out put forward all those same conspiracies that Kerry Lake does, set aside the vote, appoint me secretary of state. The judge not only rejected all of Fincham's claims, but called them frivolous, wholly unsupported by the record, and fatally flawed. And Fincham would be reaching out to all of the MAGA extremists in the right-wing echo chamber everything's going great in this. You know, the judge totally gets what we're talking about. And then you have a ruling like this. Then they just go, the judge is a rhino. The judge is a a proxy for the Democratic Party. You know, that's their shtick. And similarly, you know, with Carrie Lake, just the constant lies and deceit and gaslighting and and the way she like even works her own right-wing radical supporters and doesn't even explain what's happening. Like a week ago or two weeks ago, she filed the lawsuit claiming intent and malice and that the 17,000 plus votes, it's like Trump, find me the 11,000 votes, you know, that the 17,000 votes were illegal, that she lost by it. All of those should be thrown out. Has no basis, has no support. And in that case, the judge said this past week, There was a uh, status conference held on Tuesday, and it just goes to show you why it's important to just talk about the facts and why these MAGA extremists live in like this alternate universe. And so the judge set at this hearing on Tuesday, he set a expedited dismissal process where Maricopa County and uh, Katie Hobbs, they've already filed their motions to dismiss Governor-Elect Hobbs. They've already filed their motion to dismiss. That's how quick the judge said it. And on Saturday, on a weekend, the judge ordered Kerry Lake to respond. And what the judge basically said is, in the event it's not dismissed, we're holding an evidentiary hearing Right away and Carrie Lake show me the seventy go through it all and show me how each seventeen thousand was it was unlawful, which she'll never be able to do because it's all based on conspiracy and lies. And so the objective legal observer who's dealing with reality and data says this judge is not buying at all what Carrie Lake is selling and wants to make sure this case is dismissed immediately. And if for whatever reason it's not dismissed on the papers, he's gonna Hold an immediate evidentiary hearing where Kerry Lake better show seventeen thousand affidavits or have you know bulletproof evidence of what she says, which she's not going to be able to do because it's all based on conspiracy and lies. Now Kerry Lake and all of her supporters were like, "This is big." The judge ordered the deep state and the the Democratic leftist communists to go to trial. We're going to trial. This is exactly what we wanted just the same stuff that they that they just lie about over and over again and that Trump gaslights about in 2020 that they're not living in an objective reality world where anybody who sees what takes place goes, this case is going to get dismissed in the next five days. Um, you know, Now he's going to get dismissed. The judge is going to probably write an order like this judge did over here in the Fincham case saying it's frivolous and wholly unsupported um, by the record and fatally flawed. So we'll keep you updated there, but wanted to alert you of the existence of those cases and where they are. And finally, Popak, you, you said it, raining subpoenas from special counsel, Jack Smith, sending it to all these state election officials, state secretary um, of of states as well. So a lot of development there. And to me, it indicates we're moving closer to indictments. Talk to us about it, Popak.
1: Yeah, I I think that um, Jack Smith, as we've said before, has let no grass grow under his broken leg. And um, he's moving full steam ahead. Um, It it just shows you by the sheer volume and targeted focus of the subpoenas where they are with the grand juries, three or four of them, that Jack Smith ultimately supervises on the prosecutor side. Of course, it all goes to Beryl Howell as the chief judge in the District of in that district um, to make rulings along the way, secret rulings, but rulings along the way about these grand juries. But, you know, they're obviously focused on fake electors. They're obviously focused on interference by Trump, particularly and those around him in the uh, with a local and state election officials. Um, So interference there in the certification, in the fake electors, in everything else that went to the lack of peaceful, uh, the the, uh, uh, undermining of the peaceful transfer of power. You know, you see all the names that, you know, those that have been targeted or received the subpoenas, many of them, secretaries of state of various states, local election officials and the like have revealed to reporters who's on the list. And there's, you know, lists of 19 and 20 names starting with Donald Trump and ending with, you know, that whole group of lawyers that you've talked about uh, not not Alina Habba, but John Eastman and and uh, Jeff Clark in the Department of Justice at the time for Trump and Cleta Mitchell and um, Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood and everybody else that's been orbiting Trump, most of which are on their way to being disbarred if they haven't been already. And so it just shows that um, for those that wondered a. How is Jack Smith going to operate from The Hague while he's recuperating from his leg? The answer is just fine. So, you know, he is on top of a, a he's built a team, he inherited a team of prosecutors that are all career professionals. He's also brought in a number of his own hand-picked special prosecutors to work under him and you know, because there's a lot of levers here that have to be pulled by the Department of Justice and by Jack Smith as special counsel. So if I'm Merrick Garland and I'm looking back at my pick, I'm thinking, oh, what a master stroke! This guy is doing exactly what I wanted at the speed and velocity at which is required, and no one can challenge. You can say a lot of things about Jack Smith, and Lord knows, in prior news cycles, Trump has tried to attack his wife as a documentarian and this and that. But you know, he is he is Terminator. He is RoboCop. He is he is he is a non-partisan, independent career professional prosecutor who, when he wasn't prosecuting the mafia, was prosecuting war criminals, perfect to go after Donald Trump. And look, um, as we anticipate next week's uh, week's legal AF and during the midweek, a lot of bad things are going to be happening to Trump next week. Monday, there's going to be a vote, of course, that we talked about in favor of the uh, criminal referrals by the Jan 6 Committee. But on Monday or Tuesday as well, the House Ways and Means Committee is probably going to vote to release Donald Trump's tax returns to the public. So this next week is going to be another and an increasingly consistent group of shitty weeks for Donald Trump and great weeks for democracy, um, led by, in this case, the uh, led by the outgoing 118th Congress and
0: its two major committees. Good thing that there's a show that addresses <laughs> all of these legal developments twice a week. It's called Legal AF with Ben Micellis, Michael Popak, and Karen Friedman Agnifilo. We want to thank all of you for watching this today. If you all want to support the Midas Touch Network, check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot slash Midas Touch. We have lots of exclusive content. You can only get there, but most importantly, we're not funded by any outside investors at all. 100% accountable to you, 100% crowd. Funded, 100% independent, wherever you in the, are in the world, check it out, patreon.com slash MidasTouch. Also, check out store.mitistouch.com store.mitistouch.com for the best pro-democracy gear out there. Gear up at store.mitistouch.com Thank you all for watching this episode of Legal AF. I'm Ben Micellis, joined by Michael Popak. We'll see you next time, same place, breaking down the most consequential legal news of the week. Shout out to the Midas Mighty.